All right, well, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 9, and hold your place at verse 18. We'll take a look there uh, here in just a few minutes. You know, most of us have probably had the experience of uh, underestimating another person and then being surprised by them. Uh, Perhaps some of us have also experienced being underestimated uh, by another person. Uh, this this happened to me this past week. I uh, played basketball for the first time in about six or seven months, and uh, Dave Winter was guarding me, and, and I drove into the basket, and he was so confident that he was going to block my shot. And instead, I just swooped under him and did this fancy little layup, and uh, the shot went right in, and, and he was just dumbfounded because he had underestimated me. <laughs> And he resorted to telling me that my shot looked like a girly shot. (laughs) Hence the back problems. That's probably right. So I was underestimated by Dave, so I understand uh, what this is all about. When I was probably eight or nine years old, uh, my dad was the director of a youth camp for uh, the District of Ohio for the denomination that we were a part of. And so uh, I often hung around the, the camp during the, uh, during the camps for the, some kids that were older than I was. And, and so I would be around, and I'm sure I was quite the annoyance to those older, older campers. But I remember this one particular year uh, that these two teenagers, Danny Heidelbaugh and Nathan Trapani, uh, decided out in the kind of the common area of the camp that they were going to wrestle each other. Uh, I'm sure this wasn't an approved activity, but they uh, decided anyway. Now, what you have to understand is Danny was a very large teenager. I mean, this was a big guy. And, and Nathan, uh, he was a pretty small guy. He was fit, but, but he was pretty small. When you looked at the two of them, it seemed completely obvious that, that Nathan had no chance, that, that Danny was just going to destroy him. And, and I think that Danny thought that he was going to destroy Nathan. So they began to wrestle. And it soon became obvious that Danny didn't have a prayer against Nathan. You see, Nathan was an excellent wrestler. He wasn't big, but he understood the techniques of wrestling. And when they started wrestling, it was simply no contest. He very quickly put Danny down, and Danny stayed down. Danny paid for underestimating uh, Nathan. Uh, In 1990, Mike Tyson was the most feared boxer on the planet. Uh, Many of you will remember that. It's hard to believe it's been 22 years ago. Uh, But he was the most feared boxer on the planet, perhaps the most feared boxer that there had ever been. You know, he knocked virtually every opponent out in the first round or two. Uh, I can remember watching some of uh, Tyson's uh, uh, fights. Uh, Yes, I was a a boxing fan uh, in those days. And um, you could see that most of his opponents were defeated before the bell even rang to start fighting. You, You could see abject fear in their eyes as they were waiting for Tyson to storm across the ring and begin pummeling them, that they were fearful. Buster Douglas, on the other hand, was considered something of a journeyman boxer. He never quite lived up to the potential that people thought he had. He often seemed a little bit out of shape in some of his fights, but he definitely had potential. 
But in spite of his potential, nobody thought that Douglas had a chance to defeat Tyson, uh, including Mike Tyson. He, he didn't think Douglas had a chance. But in the 10th round of their match in uh, Tokyo, Buster Douglas did what everyone thought was impossible. Not only did he defeat Tyson, but he knocked him out. The world underestimated Douglas. Tyson underestimated Douglas, and he paid for it. Talk about being underestimated. When Michael Jordan came out of college, he was drafted, if my memory serves me correctly, 13th in the draft that year. Now, the NBA draft isn't like the NFL where there are seven rounds. There are two rounds. There's not that many people that get drafted. And so he was drafted 13th, which means that 12 teams thought that there was somebody better than Michael Jordan that was available in that particular draft. Of course, today we know that many people, perhaps most, but at least many people, consider Jordan to be the greatest basketball player of all time. And yet he was underestimated coming out of college. And, you know, those, uh, those uh, 12 uh, people that drafted someone else's 12 teams have probably lived with a lot of regret. I apologize, ladies, that all my examples have come from the world of sports today. Um, of course, I shouldn't assume you don't like sports because that would be uh, making an assumption that may not be true. And uh, so maybe, maybe I should just take back my apology. I underestimated your interest in sports. <laughs> We've all had experiences of being underestimated by someone, and, uh, uh, of under, uh, being underestimated by someone, and, and they ended up surprised, or, or the other way around. We underestimated them, and they surprised us. We did not esteem them properly. You know, Jesus Christ understands what it's like to be underestimated. He understands what it's like to not be properly esteemed. And, and as we continue our series in the book of Luke that we've called Radical Love, we come today to chapter 9, verses 18 through 22, and these verses find Jesus being underestimated by people. They, they didn't recognize him for who he really was. And we also find Simon Peter in the midst of a crowd that is, that is underestimating Jesus. We find Simon Peter standing up and properly esteeming Jesus, recognizing him for who he really was and who he really is. So I want to read the text today and then I'm going to share for a few minutes about why it's a problem for us to underestimate Jesus, who he really is, and how we go about receiving the truth about who Jesus is. So if you're holding your place there in Luke chapter 9, uh, here's what we read beginning in verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God, or the Messiah of God. 
Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, raised to life. So Jesus' fame was spreading. And the crowds, the people, were debating about what he really meant. Who he really was. And this was widespread. This was going on all over the place. Earlier in chapter 9, in verse 9, we find Herod questioning who Jesus is. And then here in the text that we read, we have Jesus aware that the crowds are debating who he was, asking his disciples... What are people saying about me? What, what does the crowd say? Who does the crowd think that I am? You know, there was buzz about Jesus. There was a commotion about Jesus. And so he asked his disciples what kind of thoughts were coming out of all of the talking that was going on about him. And he asked this question because he was setting his disciples up for the question to be put to them, who do you think that I am? I, I think Jesus knew what the crowd was saying about him. He was, he was setting the disciples up uh, to address this question. And, and so the disciples answer him by saying that some were saying he was John the Baptist. Uh, Herod, of course, knew this wasn't true because Herod had beheaded John the Baptist. They went on and said that some were saying he was Elijah. Others were saying that he was one of the prophets of old. Now, there's a lot of things that could be uh, said about this, but I, I just want to draw your attention to a, to a simple point, and that is I want us to note that the crowd was identifying Jesus with a group of great people. The crowd was identifying Jesus as someone commendable. The crowd was identifying Jesus in the company of great people. They weren't saying that he was a nobody. They weren't saying that he didn't matter or that what he was teaching was unimportant. In guessing John the Baptist, in guessing Elijah, in guessing another prophet, the crowd was definitely identifying Jesus among the greats. They, they were putting him in elite company. They were saying this is someone really commendable. This is someone really great. You know, there's no more important question for us to consider in life than who is Jesus? And the crowd was wrestling with this question, and they were answering it by saying that Jesus was a great man. And yet, in commending Jesus as a great man, the crowd was underestimating Jesus. Because he wasn't John the Baptist, he wasn't Elijah, he wasn't another of the prophets of old. He was so much more. He was and is, as Peter confessed, the Christ of God or the Messiah of God. The crowd was identifying him as a great prophet, but they were not identifying him as the Messiah. And so they were underestimating Jesus. Friends, Jesus is still being underestimated even today. Much the same way that the crowd then underestimated him. He's still heralded as a great prophet. He, he's lauded by, by many people as the greatest moral teacher in history. 
He's praised as one whose life we should emulate, but he's still underestimated by millions upon millions of people who affirm many wonderful things about him, but fail to affirm the central things that he taught about himself, that he is the Messiah of God, that he is the Savior. You know, there's no greater tragedy in life than to underestimate Jesus. There's no worse error in judgment that we can make than to underestimate Jesus. Daryl Bach says to, uh, to, to miss uh, the one who possesses the gift of life is to miss life itself. To miss the one who possesses the gift of life is to miss life itself. Tragic. To underestimate Jesus is truly tragic. Underestimating Jesus is tragic because there are eternal consequences for underestimating Jesus. You, you know, you can underestimate a wrestling opponent and, and you may get, you know, defeated, but, but really, it, it's not that awful. Uh, underestimating a boxing opponent may get you uh, knocked out, but in a few days you're, you're going to recover. Underestimating uh, Michael Jordan cost uh, several teams six NBA championships, but, but they're still making a profit and, and they're still okay. But underestimating Jesus comes with eternal consequences. Jesus taught us this. He taught us this. Uh, Jesus made us aware of the consequences, and, and he stated it very, very plainly for us. Much of the seventh chapter of the book of John, the gospel of John, deals with the identity of Jesus. It, it wrestles with this question, who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus uh, presents himself as the Christ, the Messiah, and the Jewish leaders reject his claims. This continues on into chapter 8 of the book of John with Jesus making very strong claims about himself and the Pharisees continuing to reject uh, those claims. And I would suggest that you read the 7th and 8th chapters of the book of John. And in John 8.23, after all of this back and forth with Jesus presenting himself as the Messiah, uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders rejecting him, we come to John 8.23 where Jesus says very strongly and very plainly these words, If you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe I am who I claim to be, you're going to die in your sins. You see, Jesus was not content with the recognition that the crowd was giving him. He, he wasn't content with being counted among the greats because he is more than that. He's more than that. He is greater than what the crowd understood him to be. William MacDonald says, Men may agree with Christ's claim or they may dissent from it. But as to the fact of the claim itself, there is not a shadow of a doubt. Christ claimed to be something and someone unprecedented, unparalleled, unrivaled, unique. He's not just one of the greats. He is something 
more. To underestimate Jesus is, is to miss the one who possesses the gift of life. To underestimate Jesus is to miss life itself, and the consequences of doing it are huge. And, and so to have life, we have to esteem Christ rightly. We, we must believe that He is who He says He is. And so after hearing what the crowd was saying, Jesus turned to his disciples and, and he presents this question to them. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, uh, speaking, I believe, on behalf of the others, boldly stated, you are the Christ of God. Uh, also understood as you are the Messiah of God or you are the anointed one of God. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16 and verse 16, actually gives us a little bit fuller response, a little bit fuller accounting of what Peter said. Matthew reports that Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This, friends, is the truth about Jesus. It is the truth that Jesus himself says that we must believe. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Israel was looking for a Savior. They needed a Savior. But, but many in Israel did not esteem Jesus properly. They didn't recognize him as Savior. Every man, woman, boy, and girl on this earth needs a Savior. But many of us don't recognize our need of a Savior. Or if we do recognize our need of a Savior, um, we, we look to other paths to try to find right standing with God. We fail to embrace Jesus for who He really is, Messiah, Savior. Jesus says, if we want to have life, if we don't want to die in our sins, we have to esteem Him properly. We have to believe that He is who He claims to be. We have to recognize that we need a Savior. And we have to recognize that He is that Savior. Listen, I am convinced that for many of us uh, here today... We know that something is horribly wrong with us. We, we may not even be able to articulate it, uh, but we know that we are broken. We know that we aren't the way that we should be. We sense that we aren't the way that we were intended to be. Somewhere deep down, many of us understand that we are in desperate need of help. Many of us sense... That if we died, things would not be good for us. I, I mean, isn't that one of the great reasons for the fear of death that most people experience? Somewhere deep down, we just sense, that's not going to be good. Things aren't going to be good for me when I pass away. And if you have that feeling, it's there for a reason. It's telling you that you need a Savior. That's what that feeling is there for. And what you need to do is respond. 
You, you need to receive Jesus as who he really is, the only one who can save you, the only one who can fix your problem with God, the only one who can mend your broken life. You need to esteem Jesus properly, as Peter did, and recognize him as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Some of you here today, I, I believe... Uh, have walked right up to the edge time and time again. You've walked right up to the edge of receiving Christ as Savior, but something has always caused you to pull back. I'm appealing to you today, don't pull back again. Don't miss life. Don't miss eternal life because you refuse to embrace what Jesus claims about Himself. Receive Christ as your Savior today. Peter proclaimed Jesus the Christ. He proclaimed him the Son of the living God. If we're going to esteem Jesus properly, we, we must embrace him as Messiah. We re must recognize him as, as Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And we must recognize that he is the Son of God, that he is God. We have to esteem him properly. The 14th chapter of the Gospel of John makes the deity of Christ crystal clear. Uh, of course, we could reference many different places throughout the New Testament where the deity of Christ is affirmed. But in John, Jesus says to his followers, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Now listen to this next line. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, there's a, there's a head spinner. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. They had only seen Jesus. No man has seen God. Scripture tells us this. No man has seen God. God is a spirit. But Jesus tells them, you've seen the Father. Wow. He goes on and chastises his disciple Philip. He says, don't you know me even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The, those people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God, friends, they, they, they have not read the Scriptures. They, 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 they have heard somebody say that and they're parroting what somebody else said. They have not investigated this. As McDonald said in the quote I gave earlier, you, you can decide that you don't believe it. You can't say he didn't claim it. The, the religious leaders of the day knew what he was claiming. That's why they crucified him. You can't say he didn't claim it. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In John 10.30, Jesus said, I am the Father of one. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is God. In order that we don't underestimate Jesus, in order to esteem Him properly, we must recognize Him as the Savior. We must recognize Him as God. People don't want to esteem Christ properly. Uh, people who don't want to do that will tell you that he, he never claimed to be God, but the New Testament is full of instances of Jesus making this claim about Himself. It's full of examples of him doing things that only God could do, things like forgiving sins. 
It's full of examples of his claims and his deeds that all testify to the fact that he understood himself to be God. If we're to esteem Jesus properly, if we are to believe he is who he says he is, then we have to embrace him as Messiah and we have to embrace him as God. But how do we come to the place where we can affirm these things? I mean, there are so many different voices saying so many different things about Jesus. How can we ever know the truth about Jesus? How can we ever get to the place where we commit to embrace these things about Jesus? How can we move from the crowd who underestimates Jesus to being among the disciples who esteem him correctly? Matthew 16, after Peter had proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus responded to Peter this way, Blessed are you, Simon. Then listen to this next part. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. It wasn't revealed to you by man. It wasn't revealed to you by human effort and human understanding. This came from my Father in heaven. Coming to the truth about Jesus doesn't happen uh, just by exercising our our human uh, capacity for, for learning and understanding things. It happens by divine revelation. God reveals this truth to people who are willing to receive it. God enables those whose hearts are open to His truth. Those who are seeking with an honest and sincere heart, God enables them to understand and to receive this truth. If you consider yourself to be a seeker after truth, but you've never been able to embrace the Bible's claim about Jesus as the Savior and and Jesus as God but you really do want to discover truth, that you're, you're willing to go wherever truth leads you, that, that, that you're willing to say, I don't have a preconceived idea of where I want to end up, but I want to just honestly be open to discovering the truth, then I would encourage you uh, to do something. I, I would encourage you to continue your searching Continue your reading, continue applying yourself to gain all the knowledge and understanding you can uh, through, through your efforts. Continue to do that. Apply yourself well. But be humble enough to, to recognize, to acknowledge that you're reading, that you're talking to others and, and debating about truth. Those things may in and of themselves not be sufficient to lead you to ultimate truth. Be humble enough to consider that you may need help from outside of yourself, that you may need help from outside of your own intellectual capacity. Be humble enough to understand that you may need God's assistance to discover truth. You need God's assistance. And so do this. Add to your reading, add to your searching, add to your talking, asking. Specifically, specifically, begin to ask God to reveal truth to you. Ask Him. You say, Brian, I'm not even sure I believe in God. That's, that's part of what I'm trying to figure out. 
That's okay. Start this way. God, if you're there, I want to know it. If you're there, I want you to reveal yourself to me. If you're there, I want you to reveal truth to me. I I, I saw today in the Bible uh, what, what it claims about Jesus. I saw that. I heard today that that some people believe that I miss life if I don't recognize Jesus as Savior and God. If that is true about Jesus, show me. Reveal it to me. Help me to understand it. Ask. It doesn't come by human effort. It comes by revelation from God. I'm confident of this, that if you'll expand your search for truth from being a merely human effort, a merely human type of endeavor, and you begin to humbly request God's assistance in leading you to the truth, God will reveal the truth to you. He will. We receive the truth about Jesus not through human effort, but by divine Revelation. And so one of my prayers today is that those of you who might be struggling to believe, that you would truly open your heart to God and sincerely ask Him to lead you to truth. If you do that, He will do it. So Peter knew this. Uh, he knew who Jesus is. But he still had some misconceptions that Jesus had to work on. And sometimes even when we finally embrace uh, Jesus as the, the Messiah and as God, we still have some misconceptions that God has to work on. And, and he does. And so he goes on here and, and Jesus reveals to him a little about what it means to be uh, Messiah. You see, a Messiah who was God, which is the truth that Peter had just uh, professed, no doubt brought all kinds of exciting possibilities into the minds of Jesus' followers. You know, they probably had thoughts like this. Okay, he's our Savior that we've been waiting for, and he's God. The Romans don't stand a fighting chance. They are done. We're tempted to have similar thoughts. You know? Our opponents, whoever they may be, don't stand a chance. Because our Savior is God. We'll overthrow our oppressors. Messiah will establish his kingdom. Life will be good. Is pretty much where their thinking was. But Jesus was a different Messiah than what they imagined. And he lays it out for them in verse 22. They were likely expecting a great political and military victory, but Jesus tells them he's going to deliver them in a much different way. Here's what verse 22 shows us about how Jesus is going to deliver them and about how Jesus delivers us. He says of himself, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Five nights from this evening, 
we will remember that Jesus delivers us through suffering, rejection, and death. It's not through flexing military might. It's not through flexing some kind of political power that Jesus delivers. You know, I'm as politically engaged as anybody is. I have my views. I feel strongly about them. And if you get too close to me, I might share them with you. (laughs) But we Christians need to be very careful, very careful, that that we don't co-opt God for our own political agendas. We need to be very careful that we don't look at the political process as the be-all and end-all of God's mission in the world. He's about something that transcends all of that. He transcends all of that. We need to keep this in mind. He doesn't deliver us through military might. He doesn't deliver us through political power. He delivers us through suffering, rejection, and death. This coming Friday at 7 p.m., I hope you're going to Join us as we remember those events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. To deliver us, he had to suffer. He had to be rejected. He had to die. It wasn't what his followers expected. It just wasn't what they expected at all. But it was what they needed. And it's what we need We need someone who will pay the penalty for our sins to bear the judgment that we have earned. And Christ has done that. He paid it in full for us. Jesus delivers through suffering, rejection, and death, but He also delivers through resurrection. He delivers through resurrection. One week from today... At 9 and 11 a.m. next Sunday, we'll celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. This is how He delivers. Suffering, rejection, death, and also resurrection. He was delivered to death for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. This is the deliverance that Jesus came to bring. Not military or political deliverance, but deliverance from the penalty of sin... Deliverance from bondage to sin. Deliverance from death to life. Is that better than any kind of military or political victory? To, to, To have Him secure for us, out of death, to secure for us eternal life. That's what He came to bring us. Jesus was interested in who the crowds said he was. He was very interested in who his disciples thought he was. And friends, Jesus is very interested in who you say he is. He's very interested in that. He puts this question to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Who do you say I am? So I want to wrap this up today by simply asking you to honestly answer this question for yourself. Who do you say Jesus is? 
Many in our day respect Jesus as a religious teacher. They'll concede that he belongs in the religion hall of fame. They're comfortable with that because that allows for maximum tolerance, which is our culture's real religion, is tolerance. It doesn't require anyone to see Jesus as unique from any other great religious leader. But friends, as commendable as you may think that is, as, as elevated a position as you may think you've given Jesus, if that's where you are, seeing Jesus as a great religious leader underestimates him. It does not esteem him correctly. It reduces him from who he really is to something less. And think about this. It really isn't very logical anyway. I mean, think about it. How can one respect Jesus as a great religious and moral teacher and then reject the most fundamental teaching that he offered, which that he is Savior, he is God? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So who do you say Jesus is? If you, if you want life, if you don't want to die in your sins, this is Jesus talking. You, you know, I, I'm quoting Jesus here. This isn't Brian saying, if you don't want to die in your sins, Jesus said it. If you don't want to die in your sins, which is a horrible way to die. I mean, what do we learn in 1 Corinthians 15? It's that what gives death its sting, what gives death its power is when we die in sin. If you don't want to die in your sins, you need to embrace what is true. Jesus is Savior. He is the Savior who is God. Why don't you stand